Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren, I'm your host, and today I've got a great guest, a guy I've listened to for a long time, Mr. Greg Rempe of the Barbecue Central Show. He has a live podcast every Tuesday night, uh, has been doing this for over 12 years. I can't wait to talk to Greg. I'll be right back. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they're all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren. I am your host. And today I've got a really great guest I've been wanting to get on for a long time. He is a professional podcaster because he's been doing it a lot longer than I have. I have Mr. Greg Rempe. He is of the Barbecue Central Podcast. Greg, welcome to my humble little podcast. Darren, happy to be here. Very excited. And it's always a thrill when I'm the one that's getting interviewed instead of me doing the interviewing. So I'm ready to go. I've watched your show uh, a ton of times. Uh, I watch it on Facebook and I watch it on YouTube and I listen to it on uh, just the audio version. And I think you're one of the ones that inspired me to actually start offering video because uh, for the first year I was doing this, I, I didn't think that video would really amount to much. And I tried putting out like snippets to see if I got much action and I really didn't. But when I, once I started producing the video podcast on, you know, on a regular basis, both on YouTube and Facebook, it started actually catching on some more. So, um, but, uh, I, people like you have inspired me to do this. I started out with just a Facebook group and then kind of moved into doing some YouTube videos and then kind of moved into doing the podcast. And every time I move into doing something, I actually start, you know, loving what I'm doing. So, um, I really like doing the podcast. It's gotten me in touch with a bunch of different people. Now I want to kind of talk about where you started, how you got started in doing the podcast. But first of all, where do you live and what do you do for a living normally? Is this something you do full time? Uh, not full time. I am about 10 minutes directly east outside of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, in a suburb called Willoughby. Uh, we just moved here over the summer, actually. Before that, I was in another eastern suburb of Wycliffe. And before that, uh, another eastern suburb called Euclid. And that's kind of where I started out here uh, graduating out of college and all that stuff. So I went to Ohio University for college for five years. It was on the five-year plan there, which was great. And um I am married for almost 24 years. I'm 46 years old. I have three daughters. One's in college in her sophomore year. I have a senior in high school. I have a freshman in high school. So we're getting to the end in that regard. And then professionally, or what I do for a living is I am the major accounts manager for a fairly large Peterbilt dealer, which is the big trucks that you see pulling trailers on the highway. Uh, I sell those to some of the bigger fleets across the state. 
Yeah. And I, me, I'm, I'm a banker by trade. I actually, but I deal with car dealers. I do all the indirect lending. So you may deal with some banks that only deal with, uh, you know, financing those big trucks. And that's kind of what I do on the retail car business where my, my program is marketed to when you go to buy a car, they, I, I'm one of the banks that they'll submit the loan to. Yep. We have certain, certain programs. So I, I kind of understand that business. I've been doing that for over 30 years. So that's all I've done in banking is deal with, you know, retail car dealers. So it's, uh, it's something that's a little bit different, but, um, it, it's a living and, um, you know, this is our fun stuff. You know, you're like me, you know, you love doing this stuff. So it's, it's, uh, more than a hobby. Uh, we do make a little bit of money here and there, but it's, uh, it's a passion of ours. I can tell. So I've, I've often said, cause people have, that's typically a question I get is, is this what you do full time? And I've said right from almost the beginning, there was initially when I had started, the live show um i had kind of aspirations of getting on terrestrial radio uh, at that point that was many years ago at this point but then as that didn't seem to come to fruition for whatever reason and i marketed myself quite a bit to any local radio station any local talk radio station that i could uh, i was even just looking to barter i wasn't looking to get paid by anybody it was just hey run my show uh, tell me how much time you need and here's much time uh, that I need because I have some sponsors and I'll just make sure that the show is available. Uh, time was scrubbed out of it. It was, you know, just something you could run on a Saturday or Sunday just to start to infect the rest of the country with the barbecue talk. And it just didn't seem to be something that was interesting to a lot of the station managers or maybe they didn't feel like they could go sell the other airtime that was available for them to make money on, what have you. And then quickly, I realized that this was a medium that was coming up and I didn't need to be on the radio. So uh, I didn't have, so the, the thought of me doing this full time quickly ran down. And then I realized, man, if I did this full time, if this show was my sole means of income, the dynamic would change. I would be feeling way different. There would be much more pressure uh, outside of doing the show. Certainly there would be the in-show pressure that I have every week. Uh, even now that it's not my real job, there's a pressure for me to, to do that show every week because it's oh, live. Yeah. But, I definitely understand that. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but to then have, this is how we're going to eat on top of that. That's, that would be really difficult for me. I think if that would change my whole attitude about the show and the show itself would then change. And uh, that's certainly not something that I'm looking to do. I'm happy that I can make a couple bucks at it, but uh, to try and make it be my full-time job is certainly not something that I'm looking to do. Yeah, it would definitely suck the fun out of it. That's for sure. But yeah. um, I, I'm with you because I feel even though this is something I, I make, you know, nothing on this, I, I do it mostly for the people that follow me because they I got people that just say, you know, hey, I like listening to your stuff, you know, and um, I'm never going to get rich off of this. That's for sure. And uh, I like exploring different things, but it's fun for me and I get excited about it. And if I like, I, like you said, if I had to rely on this for uh, a living to pay the bills and put my kids through college yep. it'd be a totally different beast and i would dread it but you know i still get like you i get that hey i need a guest here soon you know or i'm going to be just talking by myself <laughs> so i get kind of a pressure and what am i going to talk about you know next week you know uh so you know you get that kind of pressure for sure but something always comes up and i always just even if i have to do it myself i'll make do and people that follow me you know since they're not you know overly expecting something spectacular <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, or that they're paying for it, or, you know, I have sponsors that are going to breed down my neck if it doesn't turn out something spectacular. Uh, I, I don't have that pressure like I would if it was definitely in my only thing. So how'd you get into doing this though? You've been doing it now, how long, like eight or 10 years, right? Well, believe it or not, the live show is going to celebrate its 13th year wow. uh, of live production, February 7th. And then I was doing a traditional podcast two years before that. So almost 15 years. So you started out just doing like a, like I do with a pre-recorded podcast on yep, audio I, only and all that. And, uh, and that was really structured around the uh, message board that I had. So my entrance into all of this was my wife buying me a Weber Smoky Mountain cooker. I followed the directions that came with that cooker to the T. It was almost a disastrous event. Because <laughs> if you don't know what the Weber directions used to, or at least they used to say back then, they used to tell you to fire up like two charcoal chimneys full of charcoal and then dump it in. And, you know, now you're trying to like bat the temperatures down. And it was, uh, it was a disaster. But instead of throwing it away immediately, the internet was really starting to come up at that point, uh, 2005 or whatever it was. And I started to uh, look at across the internet, found the virtualweberbullet.com, which was really specifically for that specific cooker. And there was an incredible amount of knowledge and people willing to share information. And so that was my exposure to message boards. And then I decided that I would start my own message board. And that became very popular. Uh, it started to grow over its uh, own couple of years and started to get a lot of organic traffic and all that stuff. And then there was a proliferation of barbecue message boards that came out. So to separate, I had heard about podcasting. There was another forum out there that had started to do podcasting, but he was horrible at it. And I thought, hey, this is something that I could offer my membership, my forum members. I can interview some of them. We can talk about statistics of the forum. It was totally forum-based stuff. And that's where I started. And then after a couple years of... So I started to interview some members and, uh, and then I was like, oh, well, maybe I could ask somebody who's a bigger name. Maybe I could ask somebody who's a bigger name than that. And so that's when I started bringing in, you know, I always say that my pinnacle moment, even to this day, was the first time I had reached out to Stephen Reichland. And then he had written back in 20 minutes, said that he would be happy to do an interview. And he didn't know me from anybody. And he was the biggest barbecue star at the time, at least to me. So to get access to him and then actually do an interview with him was incredible. So I I had already reached the pinnacle at that point, so I was not scared to reach out to anybody else in the industry at that point because, to me, I had already landed the biggest fish. So away we went. And then two years of doing the pre-recorded stuff like you're doing, there was now an onslaught of barbecue podcasts back then. So that was 2008, and I decided that I would switch it up again, try and separate my stuff from everybody else's and do a live show. And I found a guy on Craigslist who was based out of Los Angeles, who was opening a internet station, internet radio station. And I convinced him to give me an hour a week. And that's where we've been ever since. Now, over time, I've grown from one hour to two hours. I'm no longer on LA Talk Radio. I got my own audio space. There was a lot of other things from an infrastructure standpoint that I added to make it my own platform solely and uh, added the video, as you had mentioned a couple minutes ago which I hate. And you know, now 13 years later, we're getting you know 30,000 plus downloads a month. That's a verified number. I'm not pulling that number out of my ass. 
and we get you know anywhere between 500 to 20,000 views on Facebook for the video when the show ends. I'm going to Twitch. I'm going to YouTube Live. I'm just offering as many ways to consume the show in a couple different ways to consume the show as possible. Because uh, as you had mentioned, I do have uh, sponsors. There's no expectation that I'm doing this or that. Uh, I think I've pretty much dominated the industry as far as professionalism and production quality and all that stuff. But uh, I do want to make sure that if I'm going to do something that I want to provide it at the best levels possible. And it's really been mostly an enjoyable experience getting to know. Uh, I'm not trained in broadcast. I'm not trained in audio video. I'm not trained in computers. It's all self-taught. So good skill set to have. It's not something I can apply everywhere all the time. But if somebody asked me, boy, I'd really like to start a podcast. Well, guess what? I can really help somebody along in that regard. So uh, something I keep in my back pocket, but it's been a fun growth over these uh, last 15 years, to say the least. Yeah, well, you've had, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of time to you know, learn all the ups and downs and I'm still learning, but like you, like I said, I, I kind of started that way too, is, you know, start a little bit here, start a little bit there, and then kind of make it grow a little bit and learn things as you go, see what works, see what doesn't work, uh, change up here and there, uh, and, and not have to feel the pressure, but, um, you definitely got the voice down after, after 12 years, for sure. You sound like a radio professional, just like, you know, a radio announcer would sound, um, I think my wife walked in one day, I was listening to you. She goes, that guy sounds like he's like a real radio guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the microphone helps for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, the microphone kicks it over into some processing equipment. Um, do I sound like this in real life? Uh, uh, mostly, but <laughs> you know, my highs are a little teased and my mids are a little teased. My lows are a little teased. And I have some equipment that I have, uh, through sponsorship, I've been able to reinvest into the show over the years to keep buying stuff. Like I, I would never recommend anybody starting a podcast and going out and spending five thousand dollars right in equipment. Like this microphone that I have, totally no need for it. Like the microphone that you have or the ones that I would normally recommend for people starting podcasts, do not even approach uh, the cost of this microphone. Uh, yeah. The preamps that I have, the mixer that I have, all stuff that anybody starting absolutely doesn't need right but because i was able to gain some interest from people that wanted to give me some money to be associated with the show i could buy a little bit better i could save i could save i could save then i could buy i would never recommend anybody going into this in the hole because 99 percent of podcasts don't make any money and that's a flat-out truth definitely and i started buying you know i think this this microphone even though it's one of the cheaper ones it's still like 80 bucks or something on the Amazon and it's a decent mic. It works great. But I started out just regular, you know, a regular, you know, microphone that's on the computer. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you, that's kind of what you do. You just kind of start out to see what's going to work, see if you're going to like it. You know, I mean, people like me and you, you know, when we start things, we don't know if it's going to be successful or if it's something like you said, you don't really like doing video. I'm the same way. When I start something, you know, you always got that pit in your stomach, you know, is this going to be successful? Are people going to want to listen to me or even look at my face while I'm talking? Yeah. So you got, you got to kind of test stuff out and you don't want to, like you said, spend five grand on equipment. And then three months later, you decide this isn't something for me and, and then dump it and lose money. So I, I'm with you. I start out a little bit here, you know, I'll add some better equipment down the road once this thing starts growing and starts getting some return on investment. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I would never recommend anybody getting into podcasting with the uh, 
the main thought on their head is that you're going to start making money yeah. at least right away. Uh, there's going to be time that you're going to have to put in. You're going to have to generate some catalog. You're going to have to hone your craft and figure out the show and all this stuff. You know, there's a, the, the list of four things that I tell people that I recommend if you're going to start podcasting. So it's, uh, it, you want to do podcasts because you're passionate about something. That's the main driver. Nothing else should be considered. And the benefit getting into it now, like when I was doing it 15 years ago, nobody was doing it. I couldn't go on you. Like YouTube wasn't even that big of a deal as it is now. I can't go on to, right now today. If you want to start a podcast, you can go on to YouTube. You can go how to start a podcast in the search and boom, you're going to get 7,000 videos of probably some really good information of varying costs and qualities of microphones and recorders and computers and all this other stuff that people are recommending. I didn't have that. Like I literally sucked when I started. <laughs> it was really bad. Like the first 12, I call them the original dozen podcasts. They're not out there. They were horrible, horrible. So <laughs> it was just a matter of doing a, you know, I was a guest on somebody else's podcast and he sounded incredible. And I said, Oh my God, like off air, can I call you? And I'm like, you sound great. What do you have? Like, what's this? And he took time and he told me, like, he shared the information. So that's why I always feel like indebted to anybody that wants to start a podcast. If you're coming to me and you're asking, it's not like, Oh, F you, you're potentially competition. Figure it out yourself. Well, let me yeah. tell you where I started and let me tell you how I evolved and let me tell you what I have now. Doesn't mean that all of that has to apply to you. But if you have the passion to start to talk about something and you're taking an interest in wanting to sound good right off the bat, because that's all I care about, sounding good. I don't care about, you know, looking. When I listen to the show, it's unique. I'll watch the show back and I hate it. But I'll <laughs> listen to the same show driving to work or if I have a, a really long, you know, call to go on for work and I have some windshield time and I'll listen to the same show and I love it. Yeah. It's, it's just the way that I'm built and maybe I'm more of a radio guy uh, in nature versus a, a visual guy. But watching the show this past Tuesday, I didn't like it that much. Listening to the same show on Thursday when I had to drive all the way down to New Philadelphia, Ohio. I loved it. So it's just one of those things. Yeah. And I found out. A long time ago, when I first started doing this a long time ago, I say three years ago, but you've been doing this for a lot longer, but even on stuff that, you know, I'm hypercritical on, on stuff of mine, I find people that will look at it uh, totally different than the way I do. Oh, there is no doubt. Like if you host, you are your own worst critic. I mean, oh, yeah. believe me, there's 20 things, even now at the end of a Tuesday night, I'll go into my chat with a couple of my, uh, confidants that uh, seem to be very professional at kicking my ass when the, the, it's no holds barred, the, no yes, man, nothing like that. I mean, we want to be critical because I always consistently want to get better. And I'll list off 10 things that I immediately hated about the show it, it, 15 years later. So, I mean, <laughs> it, but you're right. I have at least come to the realization that there's eight things that the listeners will never hear. They'll never pick up on it. They'll never notice, but I notice it and I'm yeah. a maniac. So I continue to want to improve for me, but I do realize, and you're right. A lot of people will watch it or hear it. And what you're hearing is not what they're hearing or watching. 
I had talked to, uh, and one of the things you mentioned earlier that I've really clapped on to is when I first started, it's like, you know, am I going to just do this and just talk to myself? You know, am I going to, you know, can I do it that way? And I did a couple, my first couple episodes, I, I just kind of just sat there and tried to talk. And I, I don't like doing that. I got to have somebody to bounce things off of. You know, I'm not one that can just sit there and, and yammer into a camera like there's somebody there that I'm talking to. I just, I can't do that unless it's I'm doing a YouTube video because it's a short, you know, thing. But when I first, I, I got a couple of my YouTube buddies come on, you know, to start me off. And I found out I really like talking like this and, and people really catch on to that and really like me having a conversation because I asked the right questions that people were wanting to ask. And, you know, I, I had Malcolm Reed and his wife on, I had, I had Steven Reichlin on too. And that was the same way I felt. I, I recently just had Kenji uh, Lopez Alt on. He was one yep. of my pinnacles. And it's like you said, once you have them on, you go, I made it, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but what I learned early on was ask, ask whoever you want, because they're going to say yes. If they're, because a, they're wanting to promote themselves as well. And they don't care if you're, you know, just started a podcast, any kind of exposure for them is going to help them or they're going to, they're willing to help other people just like you, yep. you know, like you said, somebody that's coming, I went to Malcolm and his wife. I said, Hey, you know, I love your podcast. I've watched your videos from, you know, when you first started 10 years ago until now, and I want to talk about that. And they're like, yeah, great. And that's one of the things when I had, had Malcolm on and said, I watched some of your you know, YouTube videos from eight years ago, and it's just you walking around with a camcorder at a barbecue competition talking. And then you watch a video that you do today. It's a total production, you know, and he loves talking about that kind of stuff. And, and I found that a lot of people just love talking about themselves and, and what they do because they're passionate about it. So yeah, yeah I, I want to say, if you ever want to start a podcast, don't be afraid to ask whoever to be on your podcast because right. nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes. And they don't care who you are. <laughs> they didn't know me from anything. And when I asked these guys, I asked me head, he's like, yeah, no problem, man. You know, I'll talk about amazing ribs all day long to anybody who listens. No so definitely uh, love that's And that's what I love about it. Cause I love asking the, some of the questions that other people won't. And uh, I've even had like Rochelle, you know, I had her on and she even said, she goes, I mean, you asked some questions that nobody's ever asked us before. And I really like that. So. Yeah. Well, good for you because I tried to get Rochelle on the show <laughs> a bunch of times and I've, I've gotten stonewalled. So. I don't know, maybe because I was small and she knew that a whole lot of people wouldn't see it, <laughs> but she's, she's in her own podcast. So I don't understand why that wouldn't help, but you know, why, why she would be afraid to be on yours. But I mean, I, and I love, like I said, I love talking to people and, and finding out where they started and how they got going. That's one of my things, yeah. but I also like to know, you know, how passionate they are about it. And you can really tell with some of these people. So, so what's your favorite part of this? Now you kind of mostly now you do a lot more of the barbecue competition stuff, but it doesn't sound like that's kind of where you started. You started out like with the home cooks, the backyard guys, and now you do a lot more with the competition people too. Well, it's funny. The evolution of the show is exactly the opposite of what you just said. So, uh, you know, originally it was member focused and like nobody, if you weren't a member of my forum, you know anything about it. But once I started to get uh, submitting into iTunes or, or more of like the global podcasting platforms that were available, and there weren't nearly as many available 15 years ago as there are today. 
I'm going to share the screen real quick so that people can see your uh, website. So just uh, keep talking. Okay. Let you know. So we, um, when I started interviewing Dr. Barbecue and Chris Lilly and Fast Eddie and Leanne Whippin, like all those, uh, there, I mean, there's like big names today, but, um, you know, back then they were certainly big names and they were active and they were winning on competitions. So I would say the first handful of years that I was doing the show, especially the live show, it was really competition based. But at that time, I think we were also in what I've called the golden era of barbecue. You saw it a lot on television. It was getting exposed to a bunch of people. Uh, People that were interested in cooking in general also realized that, hey, this is something that I could do or uh, I could possibly be good at. I don't have to be in world-class physical shape in order to be a good competitive barbecue cook. All, All those things were mixing together. And I think there was like a perfect storm of the growth of competition barbecue and the interest in competition barbecue. And so the show was focused, you know, if I had four interview segments, two or three might be taken up by uh, two or three different barbecue pitmasters on the competition circuit. But four years ago or five years ago, you could see it starting to trend off a little bit. It wasn't on television anymore. The vibe of competition barbecue had changed quite a bit. There wasn't a lot of public access to it. Everybody was hiding in trailers. There was a growing perception that you needed to be incredibly wealthy or buy all of these jambo pits and mobile homes and all this other stuff. So the point of entry seemed almost unattainable to the regular person. Uh, Also, the proliferation of the high-end meats of pork and beef and all that stuff. So the other side was backyard, and that was starting to really... I mean, we've cooked in the backyard forever, of course, but there seemed to be a real interest that was building on the consumer side. And so the show started to switch to more of the consumer stuff. So it was cookbook authors and accessory makers and uh, backyard uh, grill and pit manufacturers and talking to them and how they can put their products in people's backyards. And that hasn't tailed off over the last five years. It's grown with interest each and every year, year over year. And uh, now I would say my show is way more backyard, just the regular ham and egger like me and you than it ever was with competitions. Will I ask the guy that won Memphis in May to come on the show and recap? Absolutely. It's one of like the big ones or the American Royal or Jack Daniels. But if I'm interviewing 10 pitmasters during the course of a year, you know, that would have been a, a competition heavy year for me at this point. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I, I'm one of the guys that liked watching the uh, the barbecue pitmaster show and stuff like that. And I grew up watching you know the Food Network and all that. And back when Emerald was first you know came out, and I like all kinds of cooking shows like that. But one of the things I realized, and I think a lot of people did too, after watching the barbecue uh, shows, is that competition cooking is not home cooking and. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and, and that's, I, I had some conversations with, um, you know, Malcolm and stuff on my show, even Meathead, that, you know, when you sit there and watch uh, Johnny Triggs make his ribs, that's not something you want to cook for your family because he's not cooking for a family. He's cooking for that one bite that a judge takes. So when you see him dumping, you know, parquet and agave and honey and 12 different kinds of rubs and, and all that, he's not eating that stuff. So, and I think a lot of people kind of realized that and kind of shied away from it. Maybe that's, you know, the competition parts kind of died down, but people still want to cook. 
and still want to, you know, cook that stuff for their family and friends, but it's kind of shifted a little bit more to, you know, what we want to cook and eat at home. Look, the interest in cooking in general, inside or outside, has become way more popular than it ever was. I was growing up, even into my 20s and 30s. And now you have, you know, I don't like to throw labels out, but, you know, foodie seems to be a, a pretty big word on people that like to describe themselves as somebody that likes food and processes and techniques and all this other stuff. And you have a lot of folks that are interested in learning how to be better, practicing how to be better because they want an end product that they can be proud of, not just to snap a picture and put up on Instagram, but because they can serve it to their friends. They eat it and they're like, wow, you are the master of our (laughs) circle of friends. You know, when we're going to have dinner parties, you're going to be the one we're coming over and like, that's really gratifying. Like, that's a really big reason why I continue to like to hone my cooking skills because I can feed my family and they look at me and they think, oh, you, know, you could have been a chef if you wanted to. Or, you know, he's the he's the authority in the house on anything cooking, not baking, but anything cooking uh, outside or inside. And I like that. So I think there's way more of an interest than there ever has been in learning about cooking in general and how to become a better cook and people taking the steps and practicing in order to achieve those end results. And they're interested in all the accessories that help them achieve that, like thermometers and good knives and good cooking vessels and all that other stuff. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of focused in on the mixing the sous vide and barbecue, because it's something where I'm taking two different methods and showing people how they can make something totally different by making, you know, by combining them and not, taking in and, and using CV to make a competition style brisket because, you know, maybe, you know, putting it in the smoker all day is a better vessel for that, but I can make a brisket medium rare and super tender by using <laughs> CV and barbecue, which you couldn't do on the smoker. It'd have to be, you know, well done, but it could be tender, but with CV, I could make it medium rare, but it won't be smoky. But if I combine the two, I can make a smoky medium rare tender brisket which you can't do any other way. So that's kind of what, you know, inspired me to do that is, is taking these things and showing people, Hey, you know, you can mix up a couple different cooking methods and make something totally different. You couldn't make with the other, the methods by themselves. So, and you're right. People really are getting, uh, wanting to learn more. Uh, they want it easy too. That's where the prol- proliferation of these, all the technology that's been thrown into not just the, the uh, indoor cooking, but the outdoor cooking with all the Wi-Fi based pellet grills and temperature controllers and, and all the different types of grills and cookers and flat tops you have out there now. And um, I mean, it's just, there's so much stuff out there and every year more stuff comes out in that next, every time you turn around, there's something different and new. Uh, since, Since you've been doing this since, you know, for 12 years, how how has that changed in your eyes, and what do you think it's going to keep continuing down that road? Well, when I started, for instance, there was this uh, product called the Barbecue Guru. It's an automatic pit temperature control device. They had originally started this technology. Uh, summarily, people were taking a dump all over the Barbecue Guru. Uh, the guy, Shotgun Fred Perkle, was the creator of that company. Ran a whole different uh, thing called Thermal Megatech, which was more of an industrial controllers business, but had a customer that came to him and said, hey, you're doing this. 
maybe you can do this. I'm a barbecue guy. And yeah, I had and I, Bob on the, on the show a couple months ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. So you know the history. So, uh, but everybody in the competition circuit dumped on Fred yeah. and the barbecue guru. Now it's like, if you're not, if you have a ceramic cooker or bullet cooker or kettle cooker, you can even run them on offset cookers. If you don't have one of those, people look at you like you're mental. So to see the acceptance, like the original taking a dump all over it and then over the years and the revisions and the improvements, it's like second to none in the industry. And now the wide acceptance of that, like that's been a huge change where the majority of folks thought that automatic pit temperature control was stupid and that wasn't barbecue. And then over the last 10 years, it's like, oh, widely accepted, put it on everything. You know, it's, it's just a great way. And uh, like you're talking about an advancement in technology. Uh, the other things that I've seen, like the biggest changes have been the welcoming of the pellet cooker into the industry. Um, you know, I don't think the kettle has gotten more or less popular, maybe a little more popular. Gas grilling has to me, remain mostly the same in popularity. It's still the highest part of the market segment because it's convenience and all this other stuff. There's a lot more options out there than there were 15 years ago. But I think the popularity of that and within those sectors, you have found more and more technology being built. There's some really high-end gas grills that are trying to act as much like ovens and smartphones as possible. You put on a piece of meat, you put in a temperature probe, you do a little programming on the interface, and now it will tell you, oh, okay, well, this steak's going to be done in this much time. And then we'll ring a bell when you should flip it. And we'll ring another bell when you should flip it again. And <laughs> we'll tell you when to take it off. And it's going to take into account carryover cooking. And, you know, uh, I hate to say, like, I'm an old school guy or when I got into it, like, get off my lawn guy. I do think that there is something worthwhile in getting a cooker and learning how to use your cooker without any type of instrumentation or technology. Because if you didn't have it or the power went out or whatever the case may be, maybe the dog chewed up your barbecue goober. If you don't know how to use it without it, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And there's like, that's a bad time. If you've had a cooker for five years, and you've always used a guru, and then it's all of a sudden not available, like that's not the greatest time to start learning how to use that cook. Use it from the beginning and know it and know where hotspots are, know how to control the flame, know how to draft properly, and know how much wood you should be able to put in that cooker without oversmoking it. Know all of that stuff. Be a pit master. To me, pit master, has, I mean, certainly there's an end product result and all that other stuff, but it's being able to run a fire from start to finish, a live fire from start to finish without any technology. Once you do that, then you can start to look at adding that barbecue guru because if it fails, you can go back and pick up that cook manually and run it through to the end, still get that end product that you're looking for. Then you can add a pellet cooker. A lot of people are getting into the pellet cookers right now because I think there is a perception that it is as much like gas grilling as you can get, except you now you're using pellets. Plug it in, turn it on, set a temperature, wood pellets get dumped into the fire pot, and magically it maintains the temperature you set it at, much like a, a an oven. What's easier than that? 
not maintenance poor. A lot of people think it's like as maintenance free as a gas grill, which it's not. It's probably well, it's way more maintenance intense than you would with a with a gas grill. But as long as you're taking care of it, I mean, it's it's pretty foolproof. Keep the pellet full of or keep the hopper full of pellets and, you know, kind of mind your P's and Q's and don't walk away from it too much. And you're going to have a great end product with very little effort on your part. But I mean, what are you getting into? Uh, I always run the dichotomy of emotion on. Are you learning anything? Like, isn't that why you want to like I got into it because I wanted to learn how to do it. But maybe a lot of people don't really care about learning it if they can get a vessel that allows them to achieve the end product without having to learn. I think you alluded to that, uh, you know, earlier in the program about people, you know, not really caring how they're getting there as long as they can get there, the ease of, of getting into that. Yeah. It's not the journey anymore. You're going to have those type of people. And I, like I said, my, when I first started, I started in a, you know, creating a Facebook group, kind of like you did with your, you know, your, your, um, old bulletin board type systems, you know, the Facebook groups of the new bulletin board systems of the Reddits of the world now, yeah. but that's how I started. And and you learn that, that people, there's people from all spectrums, people that want to learn, they want to be able to break everything down. They want to be able to learn how to take their ceramic grill and, and create the fire and, and, and control the vents manually. But there's also people that want to be able to incorporate the, those tools that we were talking about as well. And, but then there's people who just want the easiest way. I want to be able to, you know, hit on my phone program an app. And some of these companies are really catering towards that. And I think Traeger is one of them. Uh, One of the things I just got a new uh, Timberline 850 and that's their top of the line. And it's got a, you know, the, a nice app built into it. But one of the things that ticked me off is I guess about three or four months ago, they had a a function on there to create, um, uh, different uh, uh, cycle cooks where you could actually start it out at one temperature and then, you know, it could kick in and, and change it to a different temperature and all that. And you could customize it. And people like me who understand cooking, that's a really big benefit. But a lot of people, I guess, if they're novices, they don't care about that. So they took that feature off of the app. They left it on the grill itself but they they removed it from the app for oh. some apparent reason and they've put more of the built-in recipes where you just touch brisket and it runs by itself where you know so you're gonna have people like that and i guess there's more of those people out there like because they like i said they took away the feature where i could actually go in and create my own custom cook cycles and and put them the automatic ones for people to just press you know chicken or brisket or pork ribs and then it just does it all by itself but you know you're gonna have people like that you know no matter what i guess there's a lot more of those people out there and then you're gonna have people like me and you that want to be able to you know start the fire with you know you know doing it with (laughs) Let's do a flint and yeah, some, flint, you know, flint and steel. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, start out and learn learn the whole process, and then use the tools. You know, I started out. I was big into barbecue for many years before I started mixing in the sous vide stuff. And you know, there's people out there that you know, of course, ah, oh, that's not barbecue. Well, okay, I like cooking overall. You know, and I'm not just the guy that's just into barbecue. I love all different kinds of methods and all different kinds of styles and all different kinds of cuisines, you know, from French cooking to Chinese cooking to Italian cooking. I mean, they're all different and they all have 
processes and methods and techniques and they all are awesome and you can mix them and, and change them. But yeah, I think you're going to have all kinds of people like that. And there's a lot of people out there that just want the simplest, easiest way. But, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people like me and you too, and that, that will want to learn and, 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 uh, you know, look at, uh, different ways to use stuff. And that's where me and you come in. So well, I think you, if you look at what's being offered into the market today, uh, all of the grills and the barbecue pit manufacturers must feel some kind of onus to put Wi-Fi connectivity and have a really feature rich, uh, feature rich application that people can go download. So you can take as much guesswork as possible from the end user should they want to have that experience. Uh, do I necessarily agree with that? No, because of the conversations that we just had, but you can't deny it. And I mean, I've asked, manufacturer after manufacturer when they come on and they're bringing whatever the newest cooker is to the market. You know, do you guys feel like you have to put Wi-Fi capability, an app that's available that does all this stuff? Do you feel like you have to do that? Because if you don't and your cooker is sitting next to one that does, that the consumer is going to buy the one on the right and not yours. So you don't necessarily want to put that stuff on there, but you do because you think it might lead to sales or it might uh, preclude you from uh, being sold because they, this other cooker has more features than the other. And, and then I always say, well, can you go back and tell me what percentage of those people that buy it actually use it? Like, that's what I want to know. When you right. buy that cooker that has all of that stuff on it, what percentage of those consumers are actually using it? I have a grill that has all that stuff. I have a Timberline. I have three Green Mountain grills, all Wi-Fi enabled. I can get on the app. I can do all that stuff. I never use it. I don't know if it's because of how I came up originally and I just want to go out and look and feel. And I think there's a whole other uh, romance of barbecue that is being missed by not doing that. But I, I would love to know what the percentage of folks that buy that, buy it thinking as soon as I get it home, I'm going to use all the technology and the apps and whatever. And then the percentage of folks that maybe think that and then never end up using it. I would love to know because that could save cost on grills too. Oh yeah. And, and it's true because how many people will buy a car with cruise control that never go on long trips that would actually use it? You know, they, 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 they want to have cruise control just to have it, but they probably use it twice in their life because they don't go on long trips. But Man, I'm the worst driver, by the way, I use cruise <laughs> control all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the but time, it, but it's just five miles an hour, 85 miles an hour and all points in between. I love cruise control, but, um, I've seen it with, uh, you can, you can just see with brands, you know, that do that camp chef is one of them. When I first, you know, started using my camp chef, it, it was just the, you know, turn the button, you know, thing to get the temperature and everybody else started coming out with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and, and apps and this and that. And you saw them, redo their whole grill line to include that. And yep. even with Weber, you know, they waited to put out a pellet grill until they were able to try to nail down their Wi-Fi app and they didn't offer one without it. Hey, all I want to welcome back. Inkbird products is a sponsor of the fire and water cooking podcast. Inkbird makes many great different temperature controllers, thermometers, uh, all kinds of time and temp controllers. But one of the best things that they make is their new sous vide circulator that includes Wi-Fi, 1,000 watts of power, and super quiet at a really affordable price. It's one of my top picks for a budget sous vide circulator for people who are just getting started. Make sure you check it out in the link below. 
Check out Inkbird. Welcome back, Inkbird Products, the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. But now I see it. The manufacturers, what they're doing now, and you know, you can chime in on this too, is that they're trying to offer all different levels of grills. So even with you know, you had uh, Kamado Joe got bought by the company that owns Masterbuilt. They they went back to offering like entry level grills and then top of the line grills. So they're trying to offer products from for every type of customer, whether it's somebody that's the cheapest. I want the cheapest thing that's going to do the easiest, you know, out of pocket. And then to I want the ten thousand dollar that's got all the toys and bells and whistles on it. Yep. Uh, and I see a lot of that now too. So, what do you think of that? Oh, I. Totally agree. I think uh, people, you know, it's it's always options, right? Um, you can't be a cooker manufacturer and unilaterally decide what the market wants because uh, you build it the way you want it and what they think technology and feature wise is on it. And then you put it in the market and it doesn't sell. And you're like, well, you know, what the heck just happened here? If you well, have well, everything, if you have five different options, yeah, yeah well, you know, now somebody like me can go in, save a couple bucks because they don't need all the Wi-Fi or the internal temperature probes, you know, whatever the case may be, and they'll buy it. But then, you know, my neighbor is a tech geek or he doesn't have the same level of interest in knowing all the stuff and he just wants to turn it on. And so he buys two or three levels up and it's all, you know, varying from there. So the more options that you have, I, I mean, I truly feel that the manufacturers now believe that the more options and features that they put on grill across, you know, from their top to the bottom, the better shot they have at being brought home at the end of the day when a purchase is happening. Now let's turn the tables on that a little bit because one of your sponsors that um, has been around a while and it seems to have grown um, considerably over the last few years is uh, pit barrel cooker. And they don't have any of that stuff. They don't have, you know, wi-fi bluetooth uh, temperature control oh. i mean it's a pretty basic you know thing now they did they did buy one of their competitors um barrel house cooker but um i don't think they're really changing their product much except that they're they're offering a couple different sizes and maybe you know some you know uh different uh accessories that might go with it but um, I know Noah's grown that company you know substantially for just offering you know one type of product without you know a whole lot of uh different options for it. Yeah, I think he's capitalized on a portion of the market that I think a lot of them are like me. They have cookers that are feature rich, uh, but then they also wouldn't mind having something that's stripped down. Uh, you know, and the barrel cooker is simply that. You put some charcoal at the bottom, you light it, you hang meat. You don't even know what the hell temperature is running at. There's no thermometers that come with it. Uh, you know, it's yeah. one vent adjustment on the bottom and and that's it. Like it's a permanent vent adjustment unless you're going to move elevation. And it, I think there's a little trepidation at first when using it because your mind has a really hard time wrapping itself around, well, how is the stuff closest to the coals not going to burn and the stuff furthest away from the coals going to cook through and only the stuff in the middle might be the best part. I, look, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a wizard cooker, but it works. And once you get a first couple cooks under your belt and you realize the flavor and the ease and that you don't have to be so engrossed in the cooking process that a lot of these other cookers perhaps make you feel like you should be, then you realize the beauty in that. 
and they have the you know the flagship product they have the junior i hear that they're coming out with like a 50 gallon or so size and maybe a stainless steel option as well but they're not putting blowers on them they're not putting technology on them uh, they just have found a way to market their product that people buy into and there's been no bones right i mean it's like hey it's simple it's great flavor it's easy to use and away you go and people buy into it and like you said they've grown exponentially over the last uh, 10 years yeah definitely and that's it's like i said it's those you know going back to what we used to have back, you know, when me and you were growing up, it was, you know, charcoal grill and that was it. I mean, I know when I grew up, you know, upstate New York wasn't a big, you know, any kind of low and slow. Everything was just grilled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Cornell chicken was about the, the the biggest thing that, you know, anybody cooked outside during the summer for those two months that we could cook outside. Right. So, um, you know, it was just grilled over charcoal, you know, not even smoking wood. It just plain old, you know, Kingsford charcoal with a bunch of charcoal lighter on it. <laughs> No you got that little bit of taste of the charcoal lighter and like that's chicken. the smell of youth right when you smell somebody <laughs> yeah. like when i smell somebody in the neighborhood that lit kingsford up with lighter fluid i go right back to like saratoga springs eight years old nine years old block parties the whole deal your burnt hot dogs and hamburgers right yes all that <laughs> well i, I want to thank you again greg for being on is there anything else you want to talk about i mean everybody can find you on barbecuecentral.com i had your let me pull you up one more time so people can actually see your website and they can pretty much find anything that you put out there from going to your website. So barbecuecentralshow.com. You can go to the live audio stream Tuesday nights. Yeah. Um, yep. So you can uh, like on Tuesday nights for live stuff right there, those three buttons at the top, you have a live audio stream, which would replicate uh, as close to radio as you can get. Uh, and then the video options are right there. Uh, Facebook live, YouTube live, and you just click on those and it'll take you to the respective pages. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast feed. So if you can't make it for a live show on Tuesday, Wednesday, or uh, the first hour is released on Wednesday, the second hour is released on Thursdays. At the top of the website, there's a subscribe button and you can go ahead and subscribe to whatever podcast platform that you personally prefer. And then if you don't like dealing with any of that, uh, if you, as long as you can remember to show up to my website, um, all the shows are listed right there in chronological order. Um, you can go to show archive and dig through it that way. All the, all the fun stuff. So, so, so you uh, got a newsletter too, so they can, they kind of tell, tell the people like what you talked about in each show so they can go back and listen to them. Is that how that works? Yeah. Sign up. And then Tuesdays around noon, you'll get a heads up on what's happening on the show later that evening. I don't bombard your inbox with a bunch of BS or anything like that. So it's usually just once a week. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, so make sure you check out barbecuecentralshow.com. Get everything you want to talk about or anything you want to hear from Greg. Um, I, I, I listen to it all the time. It's fun to have, uh, you know, your perspective, but also all the people that you have on there. You have your um, meathead comes on once a month. I know uh, Stephen Reichlin comes on once a month. It's funny how you go from you thought that was the pinnacle to get him on your show one time. And now he's on there once a month. Oh, that totally blows my mind. I mean, he's, and he's been doing it for years. So it's, it's such a really cool thing that I value, uh, you know, all those guys, you know, Malcolm and meathead, Sam, the cooking guy, Steve and Robin, uh, Derek has uh, recently rejoined the show uh, as a recurring guest as well. Derek riches. So, I mean, just to have them to know, I have those spots filled out every month and then I can go ahead and figure out, 
how to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's so great because we can, I can have those regular guests on, but it's always a new conversation every month, which is the best part because each one brings a unique perspective. My favorite shows are when there's a topic that's out there that I can ask everybody through the whole month what their thought is and then hearing the, the difference of opinions. That's great. Well, I can't wait to be on there so I can talk about sous vide and barbecue. I know you've talked about it with Meathead a few times yeah. because he's um, he's one of the guys that I follow as well. And I mentioned him in my new book that I got out there. So I think I sent you a copy so you can uh, through yes, PDF you, you can read. But um, but yeah, I love I love those guys too. All those and then listening to them every month, you know, with the different stuff they come up with. But um, you know, so I'm sure that's something where you look forward to that. And you got your embedded. Uh, correspondence yes. now with yep. uh, some of the YouTube guys and, and, and stuff. So you got a whole, and Sam, the cooking guy, how did, how did that come about? Cause he's not really known as a barbecue guy. Well, uh, man. So I think I've known him now for 10 years, maybe eight years. And I don't, somebody might've, somebody might've just sent me a link and said, Hey, you should check this guy out. And he had, uh, he had a live, internet show originally it was called the Sam live cast. He did it in his house and it was part talk show in the beginning. And then there was like this transition and then he would end up the show in the kitchen or, you know, cooking outside. And then he realized after, I don't know, a year or two that there wasn't a lot of people watching it live, but there were a lot of people watching it after the fact. And then he changed gears from the live show to doing it three times a week. Like he has been over the last handful of years. And I had reached out during the live show and said, hey, I do this. And if you ever wanted to talk about it, a couple of weeks later, um, touch base. And we had a chat offline. And, uh, you know, he liked me. I liked him. And I started showing up on his show. He started showing up on my show. And really, that's kind of how it, how it grew. I mean, the Internet has been the best thing ever. You know, I mean, he's like one of my best friends uh, outside of just in life in general, you know, we'll talk a couple times a week and bounce stuff that has nothing to do with cooking off of each other. It's, I mean, it's been a great relationship and he has had an incredible amount of success. Two and a half million YouTube subscribers. The style is something that I resonate with. And obviously a lot of folks do. And his cooking is great because it's, you know, for the folks that are foodies and are looking for recipes, it's always approachable. It's never chefy or stuffy or anything yeah. like that. Uh, which yep. is really something that I appreciate. And I like the personality and the humor of the show. Maybe some people don't <laughs> think that, but um, it's the package is good. The length of the watch is good. It hits all the right marks for me. Yeah. And, well, he's just not like an Emerald, you know, he'll tell it like it is too. Yep. That's what I like about him. I mean, the most popular thing I think out there is his telling Kathy, Kathy Lee and uh, <laughs> to, to shut up, and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Like that was great. How, how many, how big, big of balls do you got to do to be on a oh. national TV show and tell the host to shut up? Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, it, and by the way, like it was totally deserved. Oh yeah. No, and there's the nobody will sit there like, and watch that and go, he wasn't wrong. It's just, you oh, no. know, yeah, he, like, he, he's the only guy that would actually say that. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I like is it's, um, he tries to make it as, as polished as possible, but if he screws up, it, like it all lands and lives in the video, you know, from the, the 20 pound hamburger stuff that he tried to do when he went to flip it and it just caved in on itself, you know, that yeah. stayed in. He could have easily edited it out and made it look right. greater. Uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about like cutting himself on knives and then he had his knife laying 
on the table and he just was kind of swooping his hand across the board and he nicked his hand. Like he was yeah. just talking about a boom. He cut himself and like, it's, I don't know. There's something uh, magical about his shows that I, I really like. So it's yeah, a great honor for me to have him on to talk about stuff that, you know, isn't always live. I, I don't even know if half the time we're even talking about anything that has anything to do with cooking. It's just a really fun <laughs> conversation. But what I've noticed was when he transitioned more out of the house and into his backyard, I told him at some point like a couple months ago, I was like, dude, I don't know if you know this or not. You have a live fire cooking show. You're yeah. cooking on that Evo. You're cooking on your grill. You're cooking on your Traeger. Like you're a, you're a barbecue and grilling guy. You don't even know it. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I mean, it's, I, I try not to pigeonhole myself into being just one type of cook. I mean, I, I, I cook what I like to eat and what my family likes to eat and what I like to play around with. So I try not to pigeonhole myself into, into stuff like that. So, well, I really appreciate you being on and uh, I like, you know, we could probably talk all, all day about this stuff, but I know we want to go enjoy uh, the rest of our Saturdays, but I really appreciate you being on. I can't wait to be, you know, on your show so we can talk a little bit about this stuff and we're going to do it in know. January. You can believe that. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Make sure you check out the barbecue central show dot com and you'll find anything you want to know about greg and the show and it's got a lot of stuff on there like i said for 12 years he's been doing this he's a professional he's got a lot of uh a lot of all kinds of uh you know anything you want to anything about cooking pretty much you can find on there but thanks again greg i really appreciate it thanks Darren, for having me all right well, I want to thank Greg Rempe from the Barbecue Central Show for being on again. Make sure you check out barbecuecentralshow.com. You can find all that Greg does. It's a great show, live every Tuesday. Thanks for following the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Make sure you check out fireandwatercooking.com. You can check out my new book, Fire and Water Cooking, The Fusion of Smoking, Grilling, and Sous Vide. And make sure you follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.